I actually really like that idea. We should have background <laughs> checks for buying movie tickets. <laughs> I mean, with the way this country's coming, we even might need to start having to. And now we get political. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on the show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be talking about Darren Aronofsky's polarizing new film, Mother. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what is one annoying thing house guests do when they stay in your home? Lucas. I'm Luke Shredder, designer from the Bay Area. And for me, probably the most annoying thing is leaving the toilet seat up. Oh, that's the worst in any situation. <laughs> People who do that are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I'm incredibly particular about the way the hand towels are arranged in my bathroom. It's Mm. one thing I'm very picky about. And I'm not going to be the person who's like, okay, don't touch these hand towels, but only right. touch these. But oh, So they don't know. It's not their fault. But then, of course, they use the wrong ones. Oh, man. It's oh. <laughs> the worst. And this week, we have um, a really special guest with us that I'm excited to have on the podcast. Ben, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Ben Weaver. I'm a filmmaker from Austin, Texas. And probably the most annoying thing that house guests do when they stay at my house is not let me sleep in the bed with them at night. It's really strange. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Come on. Okay. Well, let's start off with what we're feeling this week. Lucas, start us off. What are you feeling? Um, I am feeling planet Earth. And Mm. I I know this isn't 2006. This isn't something (laughs) new. But this is... This is something that I have watched like bits and pieces of on YouTube before, but have never actually just sat down and watched a whole episode of Planet Earth. And I wanted to check out what 4K TV, what my 4K TV looks like in actual 4K. And so I thought this is probably one of the best things I can try. Lucas, and I didn't so, know you got a 4K TV. Ooh, so I've high had rolling. a 4K TV and I've just never, because I have a, I haven't, or had a regular Apple TV and so I could never actually take advantage of it. Oh, interesting. You've just been watching videos on 480p. You're like, oh, this exactly. is great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm finally watching something in 4K. Because that's the thing. There just aren't a lot of things available in 4K. You get those nice screensavers from Apple from once, yes. <laughs> once yes. you get the new Apple TV. Very beautiful. I love those. Uh, but I watched a whole episode of Planet Earth. And guys, this is amazing. I'm sure you guys have all already seen this show. But it is incredible. Well, okay. Um, so did you watch the new one? I saw something about Radiohead and Hans Zimmer. Was that what you were getting into? So, so I have not watched the new one yet. Okay. I'm, watching, I'm still watching the old one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So not even slightly relevant. But um, – this show's amazing. It's incredible. Uh, there are, are there eleven episodes available on Netflix. If anybody is as behind on the times as I am, the the um, the I'm not 
super into nature documentaries, but the amount of plot and story that they weave into this is incredible. And obviously every shot is beautiful. I have no idea how long it takes them to produce one season of this thing, but it looks like it's years. It looks like it's at least two years of time goes into each one of these things, which is incredible. That sounds really great. Lucas, that sounds very, a very Lucas pick. It is, is a very Lucas pick. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, something just like visually stunning and informative yeah. yeah 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 thank you for that ben what are you feeling this week yeah so this week um i am feeling a podcast you've probably all heard about it called up and vanished um it's the true crime i haven't heard about it oh okay well it's the true crime investigation of uh the tara grinstead case um it is uh Tara Grinstead was a beauty queen from Osella, Georgia, who went missing in 2005. And this podcast is amazing because this guy named Payne Lindsay is a filmmaker who was looking for a new subject. And he found a case that was uh, near to his hometown. And he was like, oh, I'll see what's going on. And he gets mixed up in the investigation. And basically, it is highly addicting it feels like the first season of serial where he is making it up essentially as he goes along he's like well i don't know what i'm doing but i got this case and i'm really interested <laughs> um and it's so fascinating to watch him reveal clues about this case reveal characters get firsthand interviews um just kind of like stumble into <clears throat> this investigation and then you know, take left turns, take right turns, chase red herrings. It is highly addicting. I was just listening to the first episode just to check out what's going on. And then I found myself at the like 23rd episode and was like, what happened? <laughs> Where am I? Um, it is great if you love true crime and if you love drama and you love real stories. Um, it's fascinating. So I highly recommend you check it is out. Is it over? I guess, well, season one or whatever. Is this so, this case over? So he was initially trying to wrap it up in eight episodes, um, but it just like kept unraveling. So it is, <laughs> it's still going on. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's weird because he's like touring the country and like doing live shows. Mm. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Um, but it's, yeah, it's still going on. I'm wondering... I will definitely have to check that out. How many more years do we have of this true crime podca podcast trend mm. um, being in full force? You know, like, is mm -hmm. this something that's going to stick with us? Is this forevermore a new genre of <laughs> entertainment or is this something yeah. that has an end coming? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's so it's fascinating, though, because it's like. Because you feel like you're helping solve the case by listening, even though you're not doing anything. <laughs> you're like, yeah, we just need that one clue. We need that one clue to be determined, and then we've got them. Right. We, we put in a hard day's work today, guys. I'm glad that yeah. we... Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I'm going to have to check that out, Ben. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. That's Up and Vanished, right? Up and Vanished. Okay, okay. good. Um, so... The past few weeks, I've been a little, like, MIA with my pop culture consumption. Um, I, my grandfather recently passed away, and so I had to go home and be with family. Um, so my pick is a little bit old, but I'm still kind of reeling from it, so I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, the night before my grandfather passed away... Um, I went to a, a Kesha concert here in Nashville... 
And mm. I have been looking forward to this concert for so long. Um, years, if you really think about it, because I've been a dedicated <laughs> Kesha fan um, ever since her first album. And, you know, we had a lot of great new music come out this summer. But looking back on it, I think the Kesha album is my favorite um, new album that came out this summer, maybe even this year. It's so good. Um, it's solid all the way through. I've listened to it countless times. Um, my love for Kesha really knows no bounds. And, um, you know, that she's one of those figures that I probably would love even if she put out a bad album because mm. I'm so fond of her. But mm -hmm. to know that she put out like a really incredible album, um, is you know just the icing on the cake so i was very excited to see her live um she's an artist that i've always been very desperate to see live i remember us having a conversation with friends once talking about like if you could see one person um before you died in live who would it be and i really thought kesha was my answer because i i just i really love her and uh, <laughs> um so i went into this concert just with like the highest of hopes um but I also went into this concert uh, kind of like a damn fool because I <laughs> uh, thought, you know, this album is much more mellow compared to her other albums. Not to say that it's a mellow album, but, you know, compared to like her super dancey, clubby hits, right. this album has a little bit more maturity, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um and she was performing in the Ryman, which, if you have never been to Nashville, is kind of like a sacred music venue. It's not, you know, a place where it's not a big arena where, like, again, a pop star would normally perform. Um, so I went into this concert thinking, like, OK, this is going to be like an upscale, like more mellowed out version of a Kesha concert. But I still excited. Um and I was so wrong. <laughs> Kesha is not coming to Nashville, her hometown, and going to do a mellow show. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, this concert was like the greatest party I'd ever been to. Um, first of all, showing up, the crowd was incredible. Everyone, I went and got my makeup done that day specifically for the concert, mm, um, being like, I'm going to go all out. It's a Kesha concert. And man, I did not go all out. There were people showing up just like covered in glitter from head to toe, wearing wild outfits, just like groups of people so excited from all like different walks of life, truly. Um, but <laughs> it was I was I'm just looking picturing like the, a grandma with her walker, just like um, completely face painted. Like, there, yes. There yeah. literally was a grandma in front of me in line at the merch stand, like trying to like coach me on what to get because other stuff. You're like, you can get that online. Don't buy that here. <laughs> um, I saw like the most bro guy you've ever seen. Like, you're like, oh, what is he doing here? He's like much too bro for this scene. He's wearing like mm -hmm. ugly khaki cargo shorts and like a weird baseball hat and then a Celine Dion t-shirt. And you're just like, uh, okay, I guess, I guess this is also your place. Oh, uh, it's my uh, demographic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was much less style than I would give you credit for, Ben. But yes, you would definitely. I appreciate that. Right. <laughs> um, I was just looking around the crowd before the concert started thinking like, if I had to die in a blaze of glory, this is the kind of crowd I would want to go with. <laughs> um, and so 
when the concert started, I've never seen a crowd that excited to see a performer. The mm. volume, the excitement, the energy, I, I've never seen anything like it. And I think a lot of that has to do with, of course, the fact that she's been gone for so long and this is a very triumphant return for her, but also the fact that we all know how important it is for someone like Kesha to be performing in her hometown in the Ryman. It's a very, very special moment. And I think the crowd knew that, she knew that, and the, we were just ready for an amazing night. Um, and she really gave it to us. Like, f- full energy, every song sounded amazing. She looked incredible. Um, before the show, I brought my friend Linda with me and I told her about a story of about Kesha and her backup dancers at a different concert, you know, years ago. And Linda asked me like, Oh, will there be backup dancers tonight? And I was like, Oh no, there, there won't be backup dancers tonight. She doesn't, you don't bring backup <laughs> dancers to the rhyme. So wrong. Uh, so wrong because she had the two most fabulous backup dancers I've ever seen. Just these two guys that at first you just think are backup singers, but then they turn into like these amazing dancers and they're in velvet suits and they just kept the crowd going. Ugh, I've never seen anything like it. It was <laughs> she blended her new album with a lot of like her old poppy hits in such cool ways. Like she has this one song on her album um, called Hunt You Down, which is a little bit more of a country song. And she like really did it in a very country way and then blended in the chorus from Timber into that song and made like the chorus from Timber into like this country anthem. Um, it was, it was amazing to watch. Um, and it was very emotional. She was incredibly emotional. I cried multiple times throughout the concert. Um, (laughs) just because like, we're all so proud of her. Um, Mm. You know, watching that concert, it really made me think of, like, Marilyn Monroe, um, how we lost Marilyn Monroe in this very tragic way, and she was, like, this kind of tortured soul. And seeing Kesha perform at this concert, it made me think about, like, this is kind of what would happen if Marilyn Monroe, if we hadn't lost Marilyn Monroe, you know? That, like, Kesha went through this incredibly dark, tragic time where she was in rehab and she kind of felt very hopeless. Um, but she, and she pulled herself and her family and friends pulled her out of that in a really loving, beautiful way. And we're getting to see this like rise again. And I just don't know if we're fully aware of how rare I think that actually is. I don't think that like artists often have this like return to form from such like tragic events, especially female artists. I think we're used to seeing the crash and burn Um, or maybe a revival like in their later years, um, like at, you know, kind of a a remembrance tour, but never something like this where she is just full force back. Um, Like I said, it was just very, very emotional. And I, I love her. And I'm proud of her, and I can't wait for her career to just, like, get as big as she wants it to be. Yeah, it's really interesting, this album, because it's, like, inextricably linked to all of the legality and all of the context that was happening in her life with, you know, the the uh, 
the guy who her manager, the Dr. Psych consultant, and, and all that stuff. And so you can listen to this album, you know, just through and listen to the bangers and the you know the new direction that she's taking and thinking that's interesting. But you also kind of have to think about her and her life and everything she's going through while you're listening to this album. It's you can't can't really just let it stand on its own, you know. Um, and it sounds like the concert that you went to, if I can make a bad comparison, sounds like if at like the Grateful Dead community was all doing MDMA, like just like a bunch of like supportive people <laughs> yeah. there for the performer, there for each other, and like everyone letting themselves be ridiculous and supporting each other in that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That's so great. You know, if I... If someone were to critique this album, one critique that I would somewhat understand is that it's a little repetitive mm -hmm. in that a lot of the songs are about essentially the same theme of like forgiveness and don't let people like tear you down and tear you apart. Um, so a lot of songs, you know, you know, say the same thing, essentially. Um, and that doesn't bother me as a listener. But man, when you're in a concert setting, let me tell you. You don't care about that repetitiveness at all because it is yeah. so <laughs> empowering and emotional. And, you know, I'm not a person that, like, kind of flips people off casually. But every <laughs> middle finger was up in the air for, like, the entirety of that concert in, like, a really powerful way. You know, that's middle fingers are kind of a thing that kind of that seem a little bit juvenile but when kesha tells you to do it it doesn't seem juvenile at all <laughs> yeah. it seems like it, it seems important and, <laughs> and like i said i've i just i've never experienced anything like that so um, now one of the things that this album produced one of the great things was uh the reaction videos of people watching her hit that high note in praying sure yeah um, yeah did you so <laughs> did she hit that note at the concert no she didn't but let me uh. tell you her voice was so amazing throughout the show um and she has a whole tour to maintain right i mm -hmm. i would i don't begrudge her at all for not trying to go for that insane note no that um, note feels like an album note not a concert yep. note yeah definitely yeah <laughs> um, and yeah like i said she she really the energy that she's putting forth, you know, there was another thing that I was like, you know, oh, this is the type of concert, like I said earlier, where she has a few songs that she could do in a very mellow ballad like way. Um, she could get a stool and a guitar and like take a break for a song. Mm -hmm. And she takes no breaks. Mm -hmm. I would say the closest thing to a break she got was she has a song called, called Godzilla that's very soft that um, she and her mother co-wrote. And her mother came out on stage with her and the two of them sang that song together, um, which was lovely. That was the closest thing she came to like taking a break. Every single number was just belting and movement and costume changes and it yeah it was it was a sight to see and that's awesome yeah all right well now that i'm done gushing about my queen um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about darren aronofsky's new film mother mm. okay um before ahead, we do that yeah real quick i have Two things that aren't really news and will probably get cut from this episode, okay. but I did just want to talk about them. Yeah, let's. Um, one, the uh, the Last Jedi trailer came out last night. Right. Did either of you guys watch it? I have not. 
I did. Okay, you did. Yes. Are, ben, are you planning on watching it at some point, or are you steering clear of all trailers? I'm steering clear of everything, except oh. <laughs> um, I saw Ryan Johnson on Twitter uh, promoting the, the poster, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it looked beautiful. Oh, it really yeah. did. Um, so, Ben, I don't know if you and I have ever talked. Are you big into Star Wars? Mm. Uh, I'm going to keep my wet blanket section short. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's interesting that you're not very big into it, but that you're still avoiding the trailer. Yeah, um, it's kind of like right now in Austin, uh, ACL is happening, and so I'm avoiding mm. everyone's posts on Instagram and Twitter. I'm just like, you guys enjoy it, have a blast. I know it's uh -huh. going to change your life. I'm going to be here just reading my American pastoral book from the 60s. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, I will say, Lucas, that yes, I saw it, and... It got me very excited, mostly for a lot of the Adam Driver stuff in it. Um, Adam Driver is, I think, so fascinating to watch. And this role, I think, is going to be just such an iconic role for him. And this movie looks like it's going to do that character justice. So that that was my big takeaway yeah. from it. I feel like he's going to have his helmet off most of this movie. Oh, he should. Just, Why just would you hide that face? He's Adam Driver face. now. And yeah. I know I know he was Adam Driver when the first movie came out, but now he's like he's Adam Driver. So Right. They're going to they're going to leave that helmet off as much as possible. They got that beautiful <laughs> Which scar completely, makeup to show off. <laughs> completely unrelated. Can we also like celebrate that we live in a time where Adam Driver is like a bona fide movie star? Like he's uh, insane, right? Like he's like that guy in high school who's like really into cutting up frogs yes. in chemistry yes. and yeah. <laughs> this guy is now like a multi-million dollar actor. Like this is incredible. Yeah. Future Oscar and Oscar nominated oh, um, easily. Yeah. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. wonderful. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's insane. And that he's heading us, like, if you told me 10 years ago, Adam Driver would be leading a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, man. God it's bless insane. whoever casted him. They That was a real stroke of genius. Nina Gold. Ugh. She's a, she's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick moment right now to say that if y'all haven't seen Adam Driver in Patterson, um, that's Ooh. a really special movie. I need to check it out. I yeah, I have not got on the Jim Jarmusch train yet. Uh, it's it's a tricky know, no one. No pun intended, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I've been meaning uh, to watch is, it. Every year there are movies that come out right at award season that I'm like, I have to watch this, otherwise the year will end and I will just never watch it. And that is one of those movies. I will say Patterson is beautiful to watch. Adam Driver is a marvel, but it is a soft, slow film. So don't watch it when you're tired because Ugh. I did fall asleep a little bit during in the theater. Um, that but is I the still best loved pitch, it. So by the way, soft and slow. That's all I'm really looking for. Oh, so. it's, it, it's the soft, softest and, and the yeah, slowest. Soft, slow and British. <laughs> yeah, I can't give really you that I'm looking one. Looking for a good British man um, in my life. That's what I need. Soft and slow. Um, really quick, Lucas. Before we. Talk talk about mother i want to just like very very quickly um talk ask ben about his like brief thoughts on this film that he and i both saw called beach rats this tiny little oh, indie yeah. film that Ooh. um i really just want to hear what you how you felt about it ben yeah um so i was really excited about beach rats for several reasons uh first because um I saw the trailer and it just looked like a bunch of beautiful male bodies. And I was like, I'm all about that. Right. Um, 
That's and, that's an, enough for a ticket usually. Yeah, um, but also because it's the second movie by the writer director Eliza Hitman. Um, she did a movie a couple years ago. I think it was called uh, "It Felt Like Love," um, hmm. but it was it was this small coming of age story about this girl who um, is like sixteen, seventeen, and she falls in love with a boy who's bad for her. And it was very uh, like we were talking about before. It was like quiet it was small and um it was just really really um thoughtfully made and so i was really excited about this follow-up and i uh i really enjoyed this film so a way just like a really quick way to summarize it um is kind of without any um it's basically like if moonlight were made on the Jersey shore. Um, it's like just this, this dude, I don't remember the character's name, but he is struggling with his sexuality, just trying to figure out his masculinity. Um, and all of the stuff that is intertwined with that while being in this really kind of like not toxic, uh, situation, but just, you know, a really like intense bro ish, uh, boardwalk culture. And, um, I thought that it was understated and beautiful and you get to see a lot of nipple, male nipples. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I think it's set in New York, yeah, right, I think Ben? Yeah, New York. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I thought it was interesting. It felt like it needed a little bit more work in the narrative, but I thought visually, I thought it was pretty interesting and, um... It might have been a little bit too understated, to be honest, especially the end. Uh, but I enjoyed it because it was like, it was a really specific look at what it um, feels like to wrestle with your sexuality when you feel like you don't have the space to do that. Yeah, I um, was very surprised by this movie, Ben. Um, before I went into it, someone on Twitter made a joke um, where they they compared it to Dunkirk um, mm. because it's just like a bunch of beautiful white, like strong jawed boys on a beach, you know, and, yep. and how like that's a strong thing those two movies have in common. But because I had that comparison in my head, um, there was a lot that it was similar to Dunkirk for me. Um, that's really interesting. <laughs> you know, one, because I think it's examining like the what these like men are having to face when like when you're in this tense stressful situation like how do young men react to that and they react to it in all sorts of different emotional and not emotional ways mm. um but also because there were scenes in beach rats that were i were i was on the edge of my seat as much as i was in dunkirk they were filled with so much tension and I was so scared about what was going to happen next mm -hmm. um particularly like one long sequence in beach rats where I was just like terrified and I was just like don't do it don't what are you doing oh my god you know during this <laughs> when he's going to meet up with the boy yeah um mm -hmm. and you know just so painful to watch in certain situations um 
So I would highly recommend people, if you if you watch the trailer and you're interested, maybe do a double feature with Dunkirk and Beach Rats. <laughs> um, really yeah. torture yourself for a night. And, uh, yeah. Well, and one of the the one last thing I want to say about it is it's really interesting um, to watch a female director. Um, gay not the female gaze but like the way that she shoots male and female bodies is really interesting because if throughout cinematic history we've gotten the specifically white male perspective on every type of body um but this is one of uh the few times that i've known that a female director is shooting you know like young um athletic you know really, really good looking bodies. And it has a different feel. Um, and maybe this is just subconscious, but it has a less intrusive, uh, a less exploitative feel, even though there are a lot of sequences where we're just getting torsos. Yeah. Um, Very close up shots of the body. Yeah. It really is interesting though. Um, and I would recommend people checking it out um, just for a different feel in that regard. Yeah. So. As someone who loves nudity in films, this I that was probably my favorite thing about this movie was the way it treated nude bodies. Mm-hmm. And I say that this movie is not full of just people fully nude all the time. But, you know, even just scenes of him getting ready in the morning or mm-hmm. lying in bed. Um, I, I love the way her camera moved around the main character who was perfectly cast, I would say. Um, Uh, I want to see him in everything. I mean, here's the thing. I think he did a great job acting, but Mm -hmm. also when you're watching it, his face is so stunning, um, Mm -hmm. in a very specific way that is very fitting for that character. Um, and so, and he's he's got a jawline, like a cliff. It's incredible. yeah, Yeah. So I I was really surprised at how um, special that movie was. And I'm glad that both you and I got to see it. I'm really glad that you watched it. I thought it might have been a little bit too slow for your taste. And I'm really glad you enjoyed it. That's great. Okay, guys, here's an announcement. I'm getting better (laughs) at watching slow movies. But I'm getting getting more into it. I'm, I'm like really seeing the value in them. But let me tell you. I walked out of my third movie ever in theaters this week because um, it was a documentary. I don't really want to say what it was because I don't want to cloud people's judgment. Um, But it was a documentary and I showed up really excited about it. It was about a subject that I was very passionate about. And um, the woman at the Belcourt introduced the documentary and she said, oh, I'm so glad it's raining today because if you're going to sit down for a three and a half hour documentary, it might as well be on a nasty day outside. And I went, say what now? (laughs) Because I didn't know that it was a three and a half hour documentary. And I, and guys, this movie, it wasn't bad, but there was literally no structure whatsoever. It was just someone spent like a long amount of time filming this one place and was just showing you at a random assortment of scenes like oh boy and 50 minutes in i was like this isn't boring but i can't do this i can't (laughs) sit here for three and a half hours and watch a movie that has zero structure (laughs) so i walked out and i'm not proud of it i'm kind of disappointed (laughs) but it happened it sounds like i mean it sounds like you're making the progression you know like from you know, just loving, you know, like 
great movies that, you know, are a little bit easier to digest. You're, it sounds like you're at the halfway point between where you were and loving Terrence Malick. So and here's the thing yeah. <laughs> is what I'm truly discovering about myself is that I can handle um, a slow, somewhat aimless movie if it's very, very mesmerizing. Um, so something like Patterson, something almost kind of like the fits that we watched this past year, Lucas, yeah. um, when it's when I can't take my eyes away, then yes. Or like um, Upstream Color. Did mm. y'all see that movie? Yes. Yep. Uh, that movie. Then Terrence Malick would be perfect for you. He fits completely into that category. I, I need to give him a shot. I, I, yeah. the, the problem is that the first Terrence Malick movie I saw was not very good. Um, <laughs> so, so I just need Which to. Which one was it? It was To the Wonder. Okay. Uh, All right. So, I know yeah. it's not his best. I know. I understand right. all of everything surrounding it. I understand. <laughs> I just I think, need to get Sandra, there. you might benefit from the one that just came out. Um, song to song? Song to song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it, I, it's tough, but it's got a lot of... You know, it's got Rooney, it's got Ryan, it's right. got Natalie, it's got there, Kate. You know, I do want to give it a chance at some point. I... This is me listening to other people, and I some probably do need to make my own opinion about this, but um, I am not as eager to watch some of these movies because I hear about the treatment of the female characters in them, and I don't get 100%. excited about mm-hmm. it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of, a lot of uh, Malick's film come from a perspective of... Uh, the male and specific, I'm thinking of the tree of life right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, a white males in the fifties growing yeah. up experience. Yeah. So that's sure. the perspective. Um, okay. Well, now that we're talking about movies with very specific treatment of female characters, let's get into it about mother. Great segue. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, <laughs> I'm going to cut everything we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Start by saying, um, going into this film, were you excited? Were you nervous? Um, were you dreading it? Ben, what was your, before you saw this film, what was your kind of vibe about it? Before I saw this movie, I was so pumped. Um, Aronofsky is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, and the marketing for this movie was in my opinion, great. Like Lucas, we were talking before how we hate how a lot of marketing spoils some films. Yes. Um, yes. I thought that this marketing was perfect. Uh, what I saw, I saw a trailer that wasn't even trailer. It was just like a bit of a scene that they put up on a website and it left you wondering what was going on. It gave you the tone. And I was like, yes, Aronofsky is back, baby. (laughs) I was so excited. Yeah, I, I, I was very pumped for this movie. The Fountain is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think one of the most influential movies (laughs) in my life is like one of the first movies that I was like, oh, like you can do so much with a movie. Wow. Um, And I have been hit or miss on a lot of his other movies, but this one I was like, all right, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. But I... I almost disagree with you on the marketing because I don't feel like, like for me, it definitely set up exactly what I was 
thinking I was going to see. But I feel like for most people, they saw this as more a traditional horror movie, and I think that's down to the marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. And I think the marketing was definitely for people like us who knew Aronofsky's yes. work and knew what they were getting into. It wasn't for your mom who saw Joy and loved Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> no. I would say, like, a lot of people that I know really, I think, before, I think before a lot of the takes started coming out about this movie, mm-hmm. um, they really just thought it was going to be like a horror film. That trailer, I think, is very uh-huh. horror film inspired. Um, I The only Darren Aronofsky movie I think I've seen is Black Swan, which I adored. I remember I drove like three hours um, when I was living in Abilene to a theater in Dallas that was showing Black Swan because they weren't showing it in Abilene at the time. And so I love that. I like me and some girlfriends like made a trip to go see it Um, Mm -hmm. and it was definitely worth it. So I was very excited and intrigued for this. And then the takes started coming out and Mm. I Man, I started dreading the idea of seeing this movie so desperately. Um, I was very, very nervous going into it. Um, So let's talk about, without spoiling the film, and we probably can't talk very long because I think this is a movie where you really need to talk about what happens (laughs) in it in order to discuss the movie. So So very briefly, let's just talk about what our reaction was to this film and how we're feeling about it after seeing it. I just saw it very recently. I know y'all saw it a few weeks ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So how has your reaction aged as well? What was it right after and how has it aged? Um, so for me, I had two distinct reactions to this film. Um, the first one was that I loved that Aronofsky was getting back to his roots. Um, after Noah, which I... Uh, I didn't see, to be honest. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited that that Aronofsky was getting back to his body horror tradition. Um, if uh, Sandra, you said that you've only seen Black Swan, and for people out there who haven't seen a lot of his other work, Aronofsky came up in the '90s. Um, he was highly influenced by like David Lynch and David Cronenberg, um, and specifically this one 1989 Japanese movie called Tetsuo the Iron Man, which was nuts. Um, it's this like cyberpunk movie that's in black and white. It's crazy. <laughs> but um, I'm, I was so excited that he was getting back to what he does best, which is kind of alienating, aggressive, highly stylized um, uh, filmmaking. And so, you know, like, like Pi, like his first movie was this really aggressive, um, very intentionally uh, self-important, I guess, uh, piece of work. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about it. I'm I'm so glad that he's doing that. And so I love that he was doing that. I also walked away um, thinking that this movie was uh, hilarious and deeply traumatizing. So that's... Those were my takeaways from it. Lucas, how about yeah, you? I, I'm definitely on the traumatized train, that's for sure. <laughs> um, this this movie, like when I first walked out of it, I was like, I don't, I truly don't know whether this was a good movie or not because of how much it affected me. Like I, I, when I, when I, I was like, I couldn't just judge this movie at all. I just had to like sit there. Um, and I, for me, I don't think it worked. Um, but it was definitely one of the most affecting movies that I have seen this year, for sure. 
Um, I thought I literally thought about it every single day for like the week after I saw it. Um, and I've obviously I have so much more to say about that in spoilers, but um, I think it's, it's a super polarizing movie, but I am so happy that this is something that Paramount wanted to take a chance on, like that they would produce yes, a movie like this. Me too. And that, and that they would let this go at like, this had a wide release. This was, yeah, it was, this in was like 2,600 theaters from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. Which is insane for a movie like this, mm-hmm. but it's also awesome to see like people letting people see movies like this now, which is really amazing. So yeah, yeah I feel, I feel like we don't get a lot of films that are super challenging and wide release. Um, yeah. And yeah. so for just exactly what you were saying, for Paramount to be like, you know what? This movie is going to cause controversy. It's not going to sit well with people. It's going to cause a lot of talk. Let's put it out. I love that we're living in that time. That's great. Yeah, yeah. totally. So this was a situation where, like I said, I heard a lot of people talk about this movie before I saw it. I just saw it this weekend, um, so I'm a little bit late. And I think in this situation, that really helped. Um, I went in dreading seeing this movie, thinking like, I don't, I want to, <laughs> like, I want to see it. I want to be in on the conversation, but everything I've heard about it makes me think I will hate it and <laughs> that I'm going to be miserable watching it. Um, I heard a few spoilers. I heard people just saying that it was like miserable to sit through. Um, I heard a lot of people like rolling their eyes at it. <laughs> and so I, w- I went in really expecting the worst. And so I left being like, um, I think I loved that movie. (laughs) (laughs) There there were a lot of parts of it that I think didn't work or were a little over the top. Um, but the overall idea of the movie and, um, a lot of the way that it looked and definitely the performances um, really, I thought, were brilliant and they stuck with me. And like you said, I can't stop thinking about it, which is usually yeah. a very good sign of a movie, of a movie's worth, I would say. Yeah, um, definitely. I, I think this movie tries to do too much, but I mm-hmm. also kind of love that about it. I think it's a flaw that is like <laughs> that I can't begrudge it because I love thinking about all the things that it's trying to do at once. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think Jennifer Lawrence, you know, she has like this, she's on this roller coaster of public opinion where like, (laughs) we love her. She's the best thing that ever happened. Oh, we're so over her. She's so obnoxious. And (laughs) I think she's actually a very special figure. Um, Mm. And, I think we have a lot of beautiful young white actresses that are very talented and special. So I don't think that that's like I say special. She's she's actually not that unique in that regard, Um, except that when I'm watching her, I love I she's so magnetic and she takes that into every movie she's in. And Um, and I think that this role for her was unique in some regards because a lot of times she's playing this really strong determined uh yeah really masculine character and in this film she is playing a different uh a different role she's she's you know like through and through very feminine she is very very strong in this film but it it feels different Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it feels like she 
she's more of like an exposed nerve. She's more of like an like a heart on her sleeve character in this film, which I don't feel like we've seen throughout an entire film. Like we'll get scenes in other movies where she is very expressive and vulnerable and um, and raw, but in this one, it feels like she's just like like a twig that's gonna get snapped at every single moment, you know? Yeah. Um, and I liked seeing her that way. I liked seeing that mm-hmm. side of her. Yeah. I I came in with like not knowing much about this movie, I came in with a bias against it strictly for the fact that um, she was playing Javier Bardem's wife. <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, oh my gosh, I hate it when they do this. I hate when as soon as an actor gets like in his 40s, he's got to have like a 20 something year old wife. And this happens in so many movies. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, it's not important. It's not like a thing. It just happens. Yeah. And but in this one, it's actually like addressed and talked about. And it's a thing, which is which I, I, I liked. Yeah, it's um, a very but, specific but first I was just choice like, and not mm-hmm. yes. just a like, you know. Right. A standard that they're yeah, trying exactly. to hold. Yeah. Exactly. And I really exactly. like and but. I like thinking about it as though this were like Aronofsky's fantasy, like him yes. being <laughs> Javier Bardem's husband I mean, in like a house like that. You, like who hasn't had that? Because we've gotta get into like the weird psychology of the fact that Darren Aronofsky made this movie and what yeah. that fantasy is with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. All I'm saying all I'm saying is that that is a great fantasy. Javier Bardem being your like you know, author husband in a like picturesque house. Oh, see, Who you're putting your you're putting Darren Aronofsky in the Jennifer Lawrence position and not in yep. the Javier Bardem position, <laughs> which I <laughs> nope. don't think that's what Darren Aronofsky is doing. I no, I don't think it is either. But I like imagining it like that. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> okay, oh, is there anything we want to get off our chest before we get into spoilers? Um, I do want to reiterate the fact that. This may mean that I'm fucked up, but this movie is so funny, you guys. I I may be <laughs> insane, but uh, I was laughing throughout like the entire last third of this movie, and I did feel like kind of like a sociopath because everybody huh. else was just like bent over in pain. But um, it's really funny, you guys. Um, and if anyone out there hasn't seen it, like if you have a fucked up sense of humor. You're going to love this movie. Ugh. I was definitely bent over in pain. Yeah. That's interesting that that's the part you found was funny. Because mm-hmm. I would say that one of the shining stars of this film is Michelle Pfeiffer. And, mm. Yep. Um, White gold. Not, you know, mm. she doesn't have any, like, bluntly comedic lines. But her presence, I think, is very funny um, yep. in this movie. So that's yeah. that's what I would gravitate to towards as far as humor in this movie goes. <laughs> well, we can talk about it more in spoilers, but yeah. there is an element to the whole way the last third of this movie is constructed that that lends itself to being this whole comedic, mm-hmm. uh, this whole com- comedic piece. Yeah, I think for me, in conclusion, there are so many things about this movie that I liked. Like it individually, like the per- everybody's per- each person's performance, I think was perfectly done. I think the choice of like having no score, I think, is an amazing choice. I think the cinematography, the, f- the framing, like the the uh, production design, like of the way this house looks and, and the, the, you know, the palette that they're using, and the, exactly, I thought all of that was perfect. They just didn't come together to me to make as good a movie as I wanted. Okay. So let's talk about spoilers. Okay. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. 
do you want to dive deep at the beginning and talk about what you think that uh that liquid that Jennifer Lawrence is drinking is? You know, I, I forgot about that and I I, I was like, oh, this is going to be revealed. And then it's never revealed. And I stopped thinking about it. So what? tell me this, about your theories. Well, I think it's interesting because Aaron, that's the one part of this movie that in interviews, Aronofsky is like, um, I'm never going to tell anybody what that means. Oh, uh, it's a weird thing to be the only thing to not tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's like, at, I don't know. I, well, I thought it was, uh, not to be graphic, but I thought that it was some form of like semen thing that was, she was trying to get pregnant with. And I, I don't know. I, I throughout the movie, I was like, is that what this is? Ben, um, <laughs> do, you, do I need to tell you how like pregnancy works? And how, <laughs> yeah. Please tell me about the anatomy sure. of human beings. I don't when know. When a man loves a woman, uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't he there something about a grounds stork? his semen into a yellow powder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. Oh, yeah. it's so different in gay relationships. <laughs> um, oh, it, it is interesting, though, in a movie where every single thing is kind of so blatantly symbolic mm-hmm. um, yeah. that that it obviously stands for something, but we don't know what, or at least I couldn't, didn't know what. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I, I thought it was really interesting was the fact that he, like, he was very open to like discussing what everything meant um but only the parts that everybody already knew what everything meant. i mean it's very easy to tell what everything yeah. is symbolizing in this movie like it, totally he's not totally. subtle it not at all it, honestly the thing that i walked away we don't really have to spend that much time on the the white gold or whatever it's called but like i i walked away thinking like oh that just kind of looks like jennifer lawrence is microdosing on lsd cool like that's all I got. Huh. I was like, okay, maybe yeah. maybe it's some sort of drug reference. Maybe it's some sort of like other realm thing that Aronofsky participates in and really enjoys that ties back to Mother Nature somehow. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, gosh, this is a hard movie to talk about because there are so many different things he's addressing in this film. Mm-hmm. I guess let's start off with the most basic one. That, like, Jennifer Lawrence in the house is Earth and, like, Mother Nature, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, and that Javier Bardem is God and that all the guests are humankind, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. One thing that I, you know, I think it's definitely important to have films nowadays talking about, like, our impact on the environment and having us, like, reexamine that. Okay. Let's set that aside. What I found very interesting about that metaphor is that um, I think it's very interesting to put the blame of our destruction of the earth on God and not on ourselves. You know, I think the truth, like, fault in this movie would say that it's Javier Bardem's fault for allowing all these people into her home um, versus, you know, the people who are being awful. Yeah. Um, that yeah. he just keeps like letting it happen. It's like blaming happen. the victim. Right. <laughs> and so that, like, he just keeps letting it happen over and over. And mm-hmm. I am always very intrigued by movies that take on spirituality and the existence of God and just ask the question, like, is God the villain in all of this? 
Um, which I think is what this movie is asking amongst many other things. It's asking Mm -hmm. like, maybe God isn't this virtuous hero we've built him up to be. Maybe he is, um, a figure that has an ego that needs stroking just like humans do. And Mm -hmm. because of that creates this flawed system. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's just very, very fascinating to like consider. Yeah, I think I think for me, I like I also love that like when when you have the those movies that do that question got you know why why does this happen in the world you know blah blah blah, blah like all of that stuff. But to me in this one, it seemed like a very uh, I don't know like. It, it seemed like the wrong question to ask here. It's like, yes, mm. we're ru- yes, the earth is being ruined, and it's definitely not our fault. <laughs> like, <laughs> like of all of all the questions that I'm like that that I you know that I have, like this is not one of them. It's definitely our fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it is definitely our fault. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I do I appreciate though. In the grand scheme of things, like whose fault really is it? You know, like yeah. <laughs> we didn't ask to be created. Um, <laughs> and I ultimately in my soul believe, yes, it's our fault. We fucked up the earth. But yeah, um, I do like thinking about the idea that like, yeah, the God, God is messing this all up. Like he made something so beautiful. And here's the thing. When we have. When we think about God and we tell stories about God, we're often telling stories about ourselves and our own human nature. Um, Mm -hmm. And so while he's also criticizing God, he's also criticizing what humans do often, which is that, like, we make things that are beautiful and then we ruin them. And Mm. um, and why do we keep doing that to ourselves? Why do we keep creating beautiful things and then ruining them when we know we could not ruin them? Um, (laughs) <laughs> and that is a fascinating question to ask about Do our own nature. Do we know if we could not ruin them? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that <laughs> is the question. Yeah, but there were moments during the film that I did roll my eyes at because it's they were very on the nose. Um, yeah. And again, I don't even know if this is a flaw or not because, like, maybe it's necessary and maybe it's an important point to be making. But it's also, like, when the house is being like truly destroyed and she's Mm -hmm. wondering through it and she goes what are you doing and one guy goes we're leaving our mark so people know we were here lines like that i was like okay we (laughs) get it (laughs) now see that's it's stuff like that in the last half last third of this movie that really made this a comedy for me okay Um, (laughs) because it was like this is so absurd and it was like it was juggling two different balls where one it was yes this like heavy-handed allegory but it was also like so incredibly uh i don't know what the adverb or adjective of farce is but it was such a farce it's like this it's farcical it's so ridiculous that all of this stuff is happening you can't help but laugh um you know and like i know everybody talks about Kristen wig showing up in this movie um man that caught me by surprise (laughs) same (laughs) um and it also like uh, it kind of the way that people were talking about it bothered me a little bit because Kristen Wiig is trying her best to become a serious actress and no one is letting her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, She's but, like, I'll be in a Darren Aronofsky movie. And everyone's like, oh, no. And, every, <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, Bridesmaids? What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but like the, the last third of this movie um, is just – it's just thing after thing that is so incredibly insane – like to take it seriously, I think is a mistake. And 
to watch it happen and to to let it be like be like oh well is this real you know like obviously he's making a point he's making he's trying to mm-hmm. tell his heavy-handed story but like i mean i the only the only thing i really didn't laugh at uh and was just more in awe of the fact that they had the audacity was um was the baby and i know that's been talked about a lot um, oh my gosh yeah. you know the baby stuff was not that as horrifying for me because mm. it was i think it felt very fake in yeah. in a way that i think is necessary you know right um, right yeah the the part that is the truly horrifying part that i had to look away and i'm not saying i think it's important that he included it but it is i couldn't watch it was the scene right after the baby where sh- they are yep. attacking her and yep. Um, like physically attacking her. Um, yeah, that was, that is I think, the hardest scene t- to stomach. Yeah, um, that was, for me, that was the moment. I went and saw this with a group of friends, and uh, my friend Tiffany was sitting next to me. We were holding each other for like the last hour of the movie while I was like <laughs> alternating between laughing and not looking. Um, but <laughs> that was the moment where I like grabbed onto her and kind of like disassociated from where I was. I was like, this is not real. This is not happening. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, which, I mean, props to Aronofsky for making a movie that's so traumatizing that people, like, have to pretend they're not in a movie theater. But, yeah, that that part was... Yeah. Mm. I would... I just... I just for me, the, the hard part is how the movie starts. Because, like, the first hour of the movie is a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, like... In, in the first half, you, you, you have analogies and, and you like you see kind of, oh, this is the story of the earth. This is, this, you know, we've got Adam and Eve here and stuff like that. But it also still feels like a narrative. Like it feels like it's a true, you know, it's a true allegory and we're going to get a story out of it. Whereas the last half is just everything is a placeholder. Everything is a placeholder. Right. And that is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I because and so it set me up to think that there was going to be a resolution. There's going to be you know, an actual storyline as, a, and then it really let me down in the second half. Mm. I still liked a lot of the stuff that happened in the second yeah. half, but I was just like, oh, this isn't what I wanted. At I'm going to make a weird comparison. I hope you're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I felt a lot like you do, Lucas, about how mother doesn't ultimately come together. For me, yeah. it feels like, <laughs> feels like Noah Baumbach's Mistress America, where the first half, Ooh. the first half of the movie I was super pumped and was like, yes, I love where this is going. I love how this is setting up. And then the second half of the movie, you're like, okay, it all takes place in this house. And uh, it's it, it feels like a completely different movie. And it feels like all of the pieces don't fit together in the way that you wanted them to. Um, and uh, I, was, I was equally disappointed by Mistress America as I was by this movie, just because I have a lot of respect for both of the filmmakers and knowing what they can do, um, knowing how they can make me feel and how they can pull a movie together. Um, but that's how I felt about Mother. I was like, I love all of the setup and I love everything that's happening. But it just like it just like misses coming together 
in the way that I need it to. That's how I felt. Is that a, does that? I, 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 yeah, I, I completely see that. I will say, I think the second half of Mistress America is the greatest short film ever made. (laughs) I, I, not joking. Sometimes I just watch the second half of Mistress America. I'll just put it on and just watch that second half and pretend the first half didn't happen. (laughs) See, I'm the other way around. I'll watch the first half and just ignore that second half. (laughs) You're one of two people. You're either, you're either a first half of Mistress America or you're a second half. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to talk about at, in the second half spoilers is the part that made me cry the hardest was Jennifer Lawrence right before she's uh, she's down in the basement and Javier Bardem is trying to stop her. And that line that she has, which is so heavy handed, but got me completely <laughs> where she's just like, I gave you everything and it wasn't enough. And mm-hmm. um, she's just like crying at him. And I was like. Give her an Oscar for this again. Like, come on. Mm. This is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. She is amazing in this movie. And the fact that the camera is on her face or the back of her head, like 80% of this movie is just centered on her. Mm-hmm. And she gives an incredible performance. It's like the body horror version of Blue Valentine in terms of framing. It's like <laughs> real tight the whole time. You're like, man, yeah. we just get her face. You know, yep. one thing I would I say I would I would appreciate about this movie is because I heard such negative feedback going into it. Um, I really mm-hmm. expected there to be a lot more body horror. I thought like, mm, yeah, that this whole, you know, I thought I was really nervous that this whole movie was going to be Jennifer Lawrence being like violently assaulted. Um, yeah. And I was kind of relieved that it really only happened at the very end. <laughs> um, I, I yeah. expected it to be much more throughout the film. So, I applaud it for that, for not, like, going, I would say, too extreme in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to talk about how, in addition to this, like, God, Mother Earth, you know, symbolism we have going on, which I would say is, like, the primary symbolism that's happening, um, what this movie is saying about male-female relationships. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm... I struggle a little bit in this conversation. You know, the more I learn about gender and people who have different gender expressions, um, it gets harder and harder to have a conversation to say that, like, men treat women like this and women are like this, you know. Um, But this movie is operating on, like, very broad stereotypes, I think. Right. um, Mm. Of the way men behave in this world and their mindset and um, the way women are treated and behave in this world. Um, And I think it's a very valuable commentary that it has about how men's egos um, kind of destroy them and destroy valuable things, things that they don't Mm -hmm. realize that are valuable um, and how women are self-sacrificing in a way that often can destroy them um, mm-hmm. without realizing it at first. That Like, you, you give and you give, and then 20 years later, you're furious about the fact that, like, how, how did I not realize that I was the only one doing all the giving here? Um, yeah. And I think it's really interesting to uh, show that what this relationship is like between someone who seems very reasonable 
and I'm referring to Javier Bardem, I think that's the most Mm -hmm. brilliant thing that this movie does is that Mm. whenever she has an objection to something that's happening and we as the audience are on her side, we're like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, you should be objecting to this. I can't believe this is happening to your house. But whenever she brings forth an objection to him, he has a very calm, reasonable excuse or um, reason to dismiss her. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, he the never, gaslighting in this movie is excellent. Yeah, he never <laughs> yeah. seems like over the top or angry or like he doesn't say like insulting things to her. Um, and I yeah. think that's so important because the most insidious form of like male dominance is not men who beat their wives and just say gross things to them all the time. Although that is truly awful and needs to, and still happens a lot. But the part that is very, the the type that is very prevalent is men just not listening to the women in their lives at all. Mm. You know, they Mm. just, they, they, women come forth with these objections and men don't take the time to consider that they might have something reasonable to say or that um, what their perspective isn't the only perspective at the beginning of this film. You know, it could be argued that Javier Bardem's perspective is that these are just lovely people that need a place to stay and he enjoys their presence and, um, and him not taking the time to even consider that someone else might feel, feel differently. Um, Mm -hmm. I think is a very telling thing about the way men treat women. So that was, I think, the part that made me love this film the most was that specific aspect of their relationship. Mm -hmm. See, I thought we were also going to get character development from him in that aspect. (laughs) Um, I mean, I totally understand why we didn't. But (laughs) that like like with with the way it started like that, because also this movie starts with a what looks like a Rachel Weisz stand-in <laughs> getting mm. destroyed the first time. Yep. Um, and that's for like when it, when it first happened, cause you just see her eyes at the beginning. I was like, Oh my gosh, is that Rachel Weisz? <laughs> um, it's not, but it looked like her. And so the whole time I was viewing it from that perspective of he destroyed, and this is getting very inside baseball, mm-hmm. but um, Darren Aronofsky destroys his relationship with this woman. And now he's starting over with Jennifer Lawrence, who he's now dating. Mm. And, we have that. We watch that relationship form, and I and and that's what kind of why I thought like, oh, he's going to learn something from this, and then he doesn't, and it happens again, which is very sad and depressing if you put him in that, in that right. scenario. I thought yeah, that yeah. ending um, that kind was brilliant. That this is a cycle um, that yeah. will never end is, yeah. I think, true and brilliant i really that's a really good point lucas and it it made me think that this is kind of aronofsky's my beautiful dark twisted fantasy where he's right right trying to figure out what he's doing and how he's breaking everything uh and for aronofsky he's just like well i guess i just keep going along all right yep yep yeah i mean that's rough also the choice to cast Jennifer Lawrence and then Javier Bardem as an older love interest and then to comment on that, you know, to like make mm-hmm. that a part of yep. the story. I think that's really smart. I think it's telling about how men use women that are younger and perhaps a bit more naive or they don't feel as empowered to like speak up for themselves um, to they use them to support themselves so that they don't 
um, they don't have to deal with like a woman who's maybe has a little bit more self-worth. Um, mm. and, and it, okay. what makes that so fascinating is that he has this commentary and then he goes right ahead and dates Jennifer Lawrence as <laughs> yep. like an older yep. man. And it's, you know, we don't consume movies in a vacuum. The things that are happening around the movie affect our view of them. And <laughs> mm-hmm. knowing that, J- that Darren Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence are dating while watching this movie is very confusing about what his ultimate point is. Exactly, It's yeah. very confusing. And it's also, I think, really interesting to put that into a movie that essentially, you know, like makes it a story that we will get to. Uh, wrestle with and view side by side with culture for all, you know, like for a long time, specifically right now, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein uh, situation that's going on. Um, It's the Javier Bardem, older man, younger woman is a unfortunately time honored tradition in the Hollywood industry. Um, And it's not something that should be honored, but it's, it's existed. And I think that this movie helps a lot of people like take a look at it and be like, Oh, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should look at power structures a little bit more, uh, intensely and, and listen to the voices of the people. Like you were saying, listen to the voices of these women who are coming forth with concerns that are like sincerely legitimate. (laughs) Okay. So can I say, can I read y'all probably my favorite quote about this movie? Um, and it goes back to what you were saying, Lucas, because I think you hit it right on the head. Um, A.O. Scott's review in the New York Times has this line where he says, uh, Mr. Aronofsky is a virtuoso of mood and timing, a devoted student of form and technique, straining to be a credible visionary. But as a wild, as wild and provocative as his images can be, there is something missing, an element of strangeness, of difficulty, of the kind of inspiration that overrides mere cleverness. And that's kind of how I felt yep. about this movie. Hmm. So. Yep. Have you guys read um, The Giving Tree? No. Yes. Oh, wait, yes. Like the children's book. The children's yes. book. Yep. I think that is a better version of this story. Um, Interesting. It's, it's more, more concise. It, I think, says, uh. does, covers a lot of the same themes. And <laughs> it, is a, it is, I think, a better representation of what happens in this movie. That's than, a than, really than good comparison. Is. So you know, it's the, yeah. The, as I was watching at the end, I was like, "This is the Giving Tree." This let me is the tell you, giving the Giving Tree makes has a whole new meaning when you are an adult woman than when you are a child. <laughs> when you mm. are a child, that book is just about like, oh, isn't it nice to give?" And now, and then, <laughs> and then when you're an adult, you're like, "Wait a minute." It might not be so nice to just give and literally just be destroyed in the process. Yeah, the sadness in that book is, like, really overpowering when you read it as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I think think what reminded me of it is her last line Mm -hmm. is the same as in the book. It's it's like, I've given you everything. Like, there's nothing else for me to give you. Yes. Oh, my God. And it's just like, holy cow. That's it. Yeah. It's insane. Another scene I want to bring up before we wrap up that was, you know, we have this terrifying sequence of her going through the house and it becoming like a war zone. Um, And then but then the true terrifying sequence is her holding her baby after it's been delivered and Javier Bardem just waiting, not even not being violent, not forcing anything, but just waiting with a presence that you just know is sinister 
And that was, man, again, those little moments are what made this movie so great to me was how it Mm -hmm. nailed the evil and the quiet, sinister nature of men that you can be in a relationship with. Um, I thought I thought that was really brilliant that that was like the ultimate moment of like fear and tension yeah that's a good point yeah, it reminds that's true it reminds me of uh that creepy guy at the club who's hanging around your friends just a little bit too close yeah and they're not they're not <laughs> saying anything they're not doing anything but you just know like what you their know intention that that is that guy has roofies in his pocket yeah yeah <laughs> all right oh, are there any final thoughts about mother before we wrap up i think i'm good i think okay. i said everything yeah. I, I needed to say but yep yeah, people go see it. It's it'll spark I'm, it'll spark conversations. I'm very interested if any if this gets any Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Everybody should be talking about this movie. I think if you watch it, you need to have conversations yeah, about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad I had a conversation with you too. Um if you want to find us online? You can find us individually on social media. Lucas, where can we find you? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Ben? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, which apparently uh, is a thirst trap, uh, I've been told. <laughs> um, and you can also find me and my buddy Ben Hilton on our podcast where we talk about Criterion Collection movies called Ben and Ben and the Criterion. So, Ben, what is your Twitter handle and... What is your Instagram handle? Oh, it's like Ben Weaver 27 or something like that. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> and what was your podcast called? It's called Ben and Ben and the Criterion. And it's really great. I definitely recommend people check them out. Ben and Ben are a really wonderful duo that I love listening to. Um, you can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can get in touch with us as a podcast on Twitter at Feeling It Pod. Thanks for listening, everybody. See ya. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 